Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week 14 of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Pastor Brittany teaches from Mark 2, verses 1 through 11, and shows us that through the forgiveness that Jesus offers, our primary need is met, and the human condition finds its cure. We are people of many needs, right? All of us, if we had a moment of sharing and everyone felt comfortable to be vulnerable, we could probably all list off a bunch of different needs that we had that if God would just listen and grant us our requests, everything would be fine. Um, Things we pray for, things we've been asking him to do or undo, people we've been hoping to see him heal, uh, people we've been hoping to see him save, wrongs we've been hoping to see him make right, so many things that we desperately desire of God. How wonderful is it to serve a God that wants to hear about those things and wants to step in and act on our behalf, amen? He wants to hear what we need from him, what we're desiring from him, and he wants to act on our behalf. But this morning as we talk about forgiveness, the main point that I want you to hear is this. I'm going to say up front, that way if you decide that you can no longer pay attention because you can't get the image of Kenny in a women's shirt out of your head, you'll at least have gotten the main point early on. Main point that I want you to hear this morning is that our primary need as humans is forgiveness. And that's because our primary purpose is to be in relationship with God. Our primary need as human beings is forgiveness because our primary purpose is to be in relationship with God. Our primary need is forgiveness, and the reason that God sent Jesus to earth was to bring forgiveness. God's rescue plan for mankind was forgiveness. The cure for the broken human condition that we all share, in whatever multitude of ways you might be experiencing it, the cure for it is forgiveness. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, weird lady that Katie made fun of for a long time, that sounds really great, but what I really need is a job, or I really need this back pain to be healed, or I really need my kid to get off drugs, or I really need my marriage saved. I want to argue that all of those things, they're needs, but they are secondary needs. And not secondary because they're unimportant, but secondary because when God meets our primary need, it changes the rest of our needs and our experience of them. And so to illustrate that this morning, we're going to look at a story from Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them to Mark chapter 2, let me just set the stage for you so we're not walking in blind. Uh, The book of Mark is one of four uh, accounts of narrative accounts of Jesus' life. And so when you hear someone talk about the Gospels, these are four different accounts of the life of Jesus, narrative told in story form. And the book of Mark is Mark's account of Jesus' life. And so the book of Mark, it moves particularly fast. Um, his, his word that he uses over and over throughout the book is immediately. And immediately this happened. It's a rapid moving book. And so when we arrive at chapter two, which is our text this morning, a lot has already happened in one chapter. And I'm going to give you a play by play. He skips the whole birth narrative and genealogy and all of that. And instead of starting with the life, the beginning of the life of Jesus, he starts with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And so we meet this guy named John the Baptist who lives in the wilderness and he eats locusts and honey and he wears camel skin and leather belts. And besides being a fashion and health food influencer, he also is baptizing and proclaiming the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, be baptized. The kingdom of God is coming. And so Jesus comes on scene from Nazareth, which is a town in the region of Galilee. 
And he gets baptized, and we're told when John baptized him, as he, as he comes up from the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. And at this point, his public ministry begins. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil. If, that, if you're not really familiar with church and you're like, what is that about? I want to learn more about that. I don't have time to tell you more about that today. So just make a mental note and then just go read Mark chapter 1. Um, but he goes and he spends 40 days in the wilderness and he comes back to Capernaum, another city in the region of Galilee. And this is where we find him. He chooses 12 disciples and immediately he starts teaching and preaching in the synagogues and on the streets. He starts healing people. He starts cleansing lepers. He starts casting out demons, all sorts of crazy things. And so as you can imagine, as somebody who shows up and is teaching dynamically and is healing people who've been paralyzed and sick and ill for a long time and casting Casting out demons from demon-possessed people. You can imagine that people want to get around this guy, right? If, if we heard of somebody who was doing all of this, most of us would want to buy tickets to that show, right? And just get a glimpse of like, who is this guy? What is he about? And so a crowd starts following him everywhere he goes. He can't go anywhere without huge crowds gathering. And so at a certain point, it says that he cannot openly enter a town anymore, and so he retreats to a desolate place. He goes off back into the wilderness somewhere and just needs to get away. But even as he does that, crowds follow him out into the wilderness. So this is where we are when we arrive at chapter 2. The fame of Jesus is being spread in the region of Galilee. People are flocking to see what he might do and what he might say. And don't worry about the fact that our projector isn't working. God actually already knew this. Oh, it is working, but it doesn't matter because I don't have notes for you today. So it works out. We're going to have the the verse on the screen, but if you're looking for your fill-in-the-blank notes, surprise, I don't have them for you today. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to get started in, in our passage. It says, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So imagine people are rushing to this house. Many scholars believe that this was actually Peter's house. And people are rushing this house. It's so full of people packed into this home to hear Jesus teach that they're spilling out the door. There's not even room to stand at the door and listen. Verse 3. And they came in bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So these four guys, they hear Jesus is back in town and they think, this is our chance to get our buddy healed. He's been paralyzed for who knows how long. This is our chance. We've got to get him to Jesus. And so somehow, some sort of ancient stretcher, or they throw him on a sheet and pick up the four corners. These four buddies carry him to Jesus. And you can imagine him. We've heard GPS tells us we need to go left and then right and then left and then right and get to this house. That's where Jesus is. And they're running along with their stretcher, with their buddy on it. We just got to get him to Jesus. And you can almost imagine them turning the corner and seeing the house and it's busting at the seams with people how are they going to get him to Jesus and so these men desperate on behalf of their friend they climb up onto the roof one of them you know he's always this guy's got to be like the adventurer who's like I got an idea I'll climb onto the top of the roof and rip a hole in the roof we can just drop him in and the other buddies are probably like okay they hoist him up this poor paralytic guy is strapped to this stretcher they hoist him on the roof they rip the roof open and then unashamedly just start lowering this guy. You can almost imagine Jesus in there and he's preaching and he's on fire and he's at this pivotal moment. And all of a sudden this guy is just coming through the ceiling on a stretcher. 
And his buddies are like, we just got to get him to Jesus. We've got to get him before this Jesus guy. Why? Because they believed that Jesus could heal him. They believed if they could just get him to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. And so imagine their surprise when they finally get him to Jesus. And they're like, here he is. Jesus has been healing everyone. And here's our buddy who very clearly needs healing. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. What? This is not what we came here for. It's like going, getting tickets to Oprah's favorite things. And Oprah's like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Your sins are forgiven. And you're like, first of all, Oprah, who do you think you are? Second of all, that's cool, but I could really use that new car, right? It's not what we came here for. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is an awesome story. Isn't this an awesome story? I love this story. It's like action-packed. It's like all of these, what? What are these people doing? What was Jesus' response? All kinds of crazy stuff is going on. So we're going to unpack it this morning. I hope you get as excited as I am and as Kenny was in that video pretending to be me. So we know at this point, Jesus, this crowd is building because of Jesus' teaching. So these men bring this paralyzed uh, friend in with them. And Jesus grants him forgiveness instead of healing Jesus sees the faith of these men, and his response to their faith and the paralytic condition of the man was to forgive his sins. Why? The need of the man was so obvious, right before Jesus' eyes, it was clear to everyone what this man needed most. He was paralyzed. What this man needed most seemed so obvious. Unparalyze him. Make him walk. Why wouldn't Jesus just give him what he needed off the bat? Well, this is because Jesus knew what the man really needed. Jesus knew that what the man needed most was his sins forgiven. It was his primary need. From a purely human perspective, we can look at this and say his primary need is to walk and be able to work and support his family and be able to play and run and have fun and exercise and all of the things that you need your body to do. From a human perspective, it would be easy to look at this man's quality of life in, in the ancient Mediterranean world where there's no ADA laws, there's no wheelchair, there's no handicapped bathrooms. It's hard in the, in the best of circumstances to be paralyzed. It's tragic and horrific to endure, let alone in the ancient world where para- being paralyzed means you're basically confined to your house and your bed and that's it for you. It seems so clear, but Jesus knew that there was a deeper, more serious need that needed to be met. This would be like someone having brain cancer, going to the doctor, complaining of headaches, and saying, Doc, I need some painkillers, I have a headache. But instead, the doctor says she's going to do brain surgery. 
Because the doctor knows something that the patient doesn't know, right? The doctor knows that it's not a headache this person suffers from. It's a brain tumor. What the doctor knows is there's a cancerous tumor in there that needs to be removed. At that point, the patient would never look at the doctor and say, no, I'm good on the brain surgery. Could you just give me the painkillers, right? Because when you have a headache as a symptom of a brain tumor, the issue is the brain tumor, right? You tracking with that? And so for us, the cure for the human condition, this condition that we all share, we could all talk about all of the many ways in our own lives we share this condition of the world being broken and our bodies being broken and there's illness and there's pain and there's suffering and we're hurting and we hurt each other and it's a big old mess. This shared human condition, the cure for it is not just physical healing. It's not just a change in our circumstances. The cure for our pain isn't that our illness would be gone or that person being punished or that injustice being made right. The cure for the human condition and our primary need is forgiveness of sins. What we need is not just treatment of our symptoms, but the removal of the cancer altogether. And the cancer here that ravages our life isn't pain and suffering. The cancer is sin itself. The root of all of our pain and suffering, all of the things go wrong, is that sin entered this world and it spread like a disease. It spread all over into our bodies, into our life, into our planet, into our atmosphere and our environment. We then invited it to make a home in our hearts. We allowed it to start dictating our actions. We decided to feed our sin and pet our sin and justify our sin and make excuses for it. It returned the favor by making us slaves to it, and blind to it, and fall in love with it, and crave it. Its reach was far and wide and deep, like taking a pure white linen canvas and taking an eyedropper of black ink and dripping it all over it, just spreading. The evil brought into God's good creation through sin was the cause of anything being less than good. And our participation in it drove a wedge between us and God. And so our primary need is forgiveness because our primary purpose is to be in loving relationship with God. And the primary way that sin infected our world was by driving a wedge between us and God. So in order to remove the wedge, we must remove the sin to, re- to realign that relationship with our God. And we're unable to do that on our own. And so the thing that we need the most from God is forgiveness of that sin so that we could be in right relationship with him. Amen? And so, of course, God cares deeply about our pain and our suffering and death and illness and disability and poverty and all of the other bad things that happen to his people and his creation because he loves us. And of course, his heart is to heal and resurrect and restore and bring justice. He wants all of these things. But he knows that at the root of all of the destructive things that plague our lives, at the root of it all, is sin. All those other things are symptoms of the cancer, but the sin that's infected the world is the cancer itself. He knew that healing this man would take care of the effects of sin, but forgiveness would attack the root. Physical healing would be a temporary fix, but spiritual healing through forgiveness would be a permanent, eternal fix. 
And so Jesus looks at this man whose friends are desperate on his behalf, this man who's in desperate need of healing. He needs a change in his circumstances, and Jesus doesn't immediately treat his symptoms, right? He removes the cancer. He says to the man, your sins have been removed from you. You are no longer a slave. This curse of sin no longer has a grip on you. You are free. You are no longer in bondage. Your sins no longer count against you. The wedge that was between you and God once has now been removed so that you can be reconciled into right relationship with God, which is your primary purpose for being alive. This was the rescue mission for which Jesus left the splendors of heaven and came down to a broken world. This was his purpose. He healed and he, and he uh, cast out demons and he performed all of these miracles as a display of what it would one day look like when he did this permanently for everyone and wiped out sin. But the primary reason wasn't just to perform miracles. The primary reason he came was to forgive us was to die on a cross and take our sins away from us, the sins that once wedged a gap between us and God, to remove it, to restore that relationship. That's why he came. He came to die to fulfill your primary need, the thing that you need the most, whether or not you know it's what you need. And so we see over and over again in the Bible and in our lives the undoing of the effects of sin. God's setting things right bit by bit and piece by piece. We do see him healing people. We do see him restoring things. We do see him redeeming and ransoming. We see him undoing all of these things. But the most important thing that Jesus does, and the primary reason he came was to forgive sins, to remove the cancer itself. Because when you remove the symptoms, the cancer is still there. Jesus were to just heal this guy and tell him, get up and walk without forgiving him of his sins, that is a temporary fix. But the root of the problem still exists in the sin that drives a wedge between this man and God. Jesus came to remove our sins from us. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, he came to remove our sins so far away from us. Well, sin was and is an offense against God. And so the only one who could forgive them would be God himself. And so the scribes in this story, rightfully so, have a problem with this. And we see the scribes and the religious leaders, they get a bad rep in the Bible. And people, if you've, if you've been in the church any amount of time, you hear scribe or Pharisee and you're immediately like, oh, those guys that got it all wrong. But here's the thing, their hearts were in the right place. These scribes spent all of their lives memorizing the scriptures and, and meditating on them and drawing out of them application of how we should live our lives we write with God. And so here comes this human walking in and saying, your sins are forgiven, which is something that only God can do. It's right for them to look at this man and say, who does this guy think he is? They weren't wrong. Forgiveness is only granted by God. And the thing is, is they're reacting this way because Jesus tells this man his sins are forgiven. When this man, did we ever hear him ask for forgiveness? We never even hear him ask. And so not only are they saying, you can't just forgive someone, but this guy didn't even repent. He didn't even ask for it. Who are you to just freely give out forgiveness that belongs to God alone? In fact, you look at the Old Testament and there is like, I mean, painstaking detail about what lengths must be gone to to absolve one from their sin. 
and what the priests must do and the sacrifice that must be made and all of the blemishes that must not be there. I mean, on and on. If this sounds fascinating to you, go ahead and read Leviticus in your free time. (laughs) You will see how seriously our God takes sin because of how detailed the process for removing it was in the Old Testament. And here comes Jesus and says with just one word, your sins are forgiven. Boom, done. So it was shocking for these men. And so in one of the very weird moments that people must have had in the company of Jesus, it says that Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were perceiving in their spirit, questioning him, which is weird in itself. These men must have been caught off guard when Jesus addresses what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he says, why do you question these things? Well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Of course it's easier to say to the man, your sins are forgiven. It's easier to say those words to the man. Why? Because if Jesus is not God, if he's not who he says he is, what proof? How do they know if it worked? Jesus, anyone could just, I could just say that to Kenny right now, your sins are forgiven. And you guys are like, we have no way of knowing that's true. Which of the two things gives some visible evidence to whether or not Jesus has this authority? And so he tacks on, you know what, I'll do the other thing also. And so he looks at the man and he says, get up and rise, take up your mat and go home. And this man who's been paralyzed for who knows how long, he gets up immediately, it says, and he picks up his mat and he walks home. Now Jesus didn't need to do this. Jesus didn't need to prove himself to the scribes. He didn't need to prove himself to the crowd He didn't owe anyone this healing. He didn't owe this paralytic the healing. This man was just freely forgiven of his sins. The wedge between him and God had been removed freely. He didn't owe this healing to anyone, but he gives them this gift of faith. Jesus does something they can see to give them faith in what they can't see. He gives them the gift of faith in doing something that they can see to give them faith in what they can't see. Supernatural evidence of God's working in our lives is always an amazing gift that we sometimes get. But we have everything that we need in the forgiveness of our sins. Anything in addition to that is bonus. Sometimes he gives us the ability to see him at work. Sometimes we get to see miracles. Sometimes we get to see a visible manifestation of the power of God like this crowd saw on this day. Sometimes we get that. But sometimes we don't. Right? This story tells an an amazing testimony of this crowd getting to see the power of God on display in a way that they knew really happened and they could believe that God was who he said he was. But sometimes... We're riding on faith, and we don't get to see a physical manifestation of that power. Um, I want to tell a story that some of you have heard before um, about my dad. And I use my dad's story a lot when I teach for two reasons. One, because it is the biggest miracle I've ever witnessed in my entire life, and so how can I not talk about it? And two, because when I'm able to use my dad's story when I teach, I feel like... pieces of my dad's story continue to be bought back and used for the glory of God. I prayed for my dad to come back to the Lord since I was six years old. So for for 22 years, I prayed for him. I would pray, God, 
Please bring, bring dad back to, to know you. God, please restore your relationship with him. I didn't understand when I was really little. All I knew is that dad didn't go to church anymore, and dad was making bad choices, and I just wanted all of us to go to heaven and be together. That's all you care about at six, right? You're like, I don't understand the theology of it all, but could we just all be in heaven together? And those, those prayers changed as I grew up, and as the hurt of his choices impacted my life in more profound ways and in ways that were more obvious that I could understand and process. So for 22 years, I prayed for him. And in 2012, he started having some symptoms that would eventually lead to ALS, which is neurodegenerative disease that leaves you, as this man in the story was, paralyzed. And so I remember going to breakfast with my dad, and and the, the first onset of the symptoms had started, and his speech was being slurred. And he was like, something is not right here, and I think God's trying to get my attention. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And so my dad started praying for healing. My dad, who had walked away from his faith for 22 years, started praying for healing. And I started praying for forgiveness. God, I don't know what you're going to do with his body, but this might just be the thing to answer my prayers of 22 years and bring him back into right relationship with you. God knew that my dad's primary need was forgiveness. I knew that his primary need was forgiveness. I don't know it for myself often, but I knew it for him. I knew that what he needed was the relationship with God restored. And so God began healing him right before my eyes. His physical symptoms got worse and worse and worse. But God got to, root, got to work on the root of the symptoms in his heart. And so slowly but surely over the process of the next several years, the next three years, uh, God would begin to undo the mess of sin that had entangled his heart. He began to have heart surgery with him. And my dad gave his life back to the Lord and he repented and freely he was given forgiveness did it matter that for 22 years he ran the opposite direction? Did it matter that for 22 years he did everything wrong? God was waiting for his son to come back home, and when he said yes, it was done and forgiven. And my dad's experience of this hardship, of this suffering, and his illness and his circumstances were dramatically changed because of the forgiveness he had received. His circumstances didn't change, but his experience of those circumstances changed in every single way. Because his primary need was met, the rest of his needs were met in ways he couldn't have imagined because God knows what we need better than we know what we need. So I want to read you something quickly that he posted on Facebook um, on May 13th, 2016. So just to set this, the stage for you, he's stuck in a, in a reclining chair. He can't walk. He can't really breathe properly. He can't swallow. He has a feeding tube for food to be pumped into him. And he's sitting in this chair, as he often did, writing on Facebook. Because this was his new ministry, was he was going to write all about what God was doing in his life on Facebook. And this is what he writes. What an amazing awesome, fantastic day today is. I wonder where I get it from. (laughs) It's so exciting. I'm in this chair. He says, there has never been a day like today, an unbelievable day. Wow. I got showered today. Glory to God. I have air to breathe. Glory to God. I have a roof over my head. Glory to God. 
I have the most nutritious canned food being pumped into me free of charge. Glory to God. I slept great last night. Glory to God. I'm hydrated. Glory to God. I have nowhere I need to be. Glory to God. I have no plans but to please the Father and be in the center of his will. Glory to God. I'm virtually pain-free. Glory to God. I hesitated saying this one, but I'm going to do it because we're all family here. I currently don't need a bowel movement. Glory to God. (laughs) Which, as his primary caregiver, I can amen that. Glory to God. (laughs) I have eyes that see and ears that hear. Glory to God. I can't talk, but talk is cheap and overrated, and my mind won't shut up. Glory to God. I am a slave to Jesus Christ, the only true wise God, who I belong to and whom I serve with gladness. Glory to God. There is so much to be grateful for and thankful for that there is no room in my mind and heart for negative thinking or negative words when there are so many faith-filled alternatives. Glory to God. Serve the Lord with gladness, for his love is unfailing. It is inextinguishable, inexhaustible, and inexplicably divine. And we are the target of this insatiable love from this relentless God of unimaginable adoration for his own glory to God. I should have just read that and been done with it. (laughs) Each of these needs that he expresses in this post were enormous things in his life. We take for granted being able to get up and walk to the restroom and use it ourselves. We take for granted being able to freely breathe. All of these things were actual needs of his, but all of those needs were being met in an extremely profound way because his primary need for forgiveness and right relationship with God had been met a hundredfold, and it transformed all the rest of his needs. After the spiritual healing that came through repentance and forgiveness, we still prayed for physical healing, and God answered. On May 29th, just two weeks after that post, my dad's body was fully healed as he entered into heaven with his God, dancing and singing, rejoicing with the one he had once rejected and rebelled against and pushed away for 22 years. And he felt all of that insatiable love and unimaginable adoration that he wrote about in full effect. Because here is the thing about forgiveness that I want you to hear. It is our primary need. And in it, we find that every other need is met. The needs that we think that we have are transformed in light of the goodness of God. Because our primary purpose is for relationship with God, it is what we were created for. And through forgiveness, we are granted it unobstructed. We're ushered into his presence, and we are healed in the most profound way, in part now and in full later. When he, removes the sin of can- the, when he removes the cancer of sin and declares us forgiven and healed, we become people of hope. And like we always say, our hope doesn't lie in our circumstances now. Our hope is that we get spiritual healing now. We get reconciliation with God now redemption now and life now, but it's also that we get all of our pain and suffering and hardship undone. God will undo all of the pain and suffering and hardship that you will experience in this life. He will undo it. Sometimes we get to see it. When he grants us the gift of being able to see that here and now, we praise him and we glorify him and we continue to tell the world what he's done. 
But when we don't, when we don't get to see all the bad undone, when we don't get to see that physical healing happen, when we don't get to see that need we think we have met in the way we think we need it met, we mourn and we hurt and we grieve and we rest, knowing that it will all be undone. Because he's already started undoing it at the root. If he can forgive the root of sin, he can take care of all of the effects it has. The death of Jesus not only paid for sin, but it made possible to remove all of the effects of sin from the world. He took care of the sin question at his first coming. He will take care of the curse and its effect at his second coming. In the book of Isaiah, we get a glimpse into the future of what this might look like. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, it says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. This is our future. This is our hope. He's already begun undoing it all, and he will undo it all. Because we've forgiven, because he has done the harder thing, attacking the root, the thing that only God can do, we can trust that he will do it all. No pain is too deep, no hardship too hard, no struggle too severe that he can't meet us in it and walk us through it. And when we see victory and healing and rescue, we rejoice. And when we can't see it, we rest, knowing that victory and healing and rescue is coming. Because our God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And so this morning, if you're here and you're hurting and you're in a season of hardship and suffering and pain, I want you to know, first of all, you are not alone. Life is not happening to you and only you. This room is filled with people who could tell all of the stories of the human condition and how it's plagued our lives. But I want you to see that for this man in our story, his hardship was the very reason that he came to Jesus in the first place. If he had been healthy, would he have come? Would he have seen? Would he have been forgiven? Would he have been healed? We spend so much energy and effort trying to avoid hardship, trying to avoid hard seasons and hard things, but it's so often the hard things that is the catalyst to bring us back to Jesus. And it's in our hardship that God meets us and he treats us, not just our symptoms, but the cancer itself. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at rememberscommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.